as an Army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible. They also called me Padre. So welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I take the questions of the day and answer them as best I can. And tonight, we, in evening prayer, we read about sex and St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians about sex and other topics. Um, so we're going to talk about that tonight. So really, the question is, what is fornication? It's an archaic English word that's used maybe as a joke um, or in ways that people don't really know what they're talking about. But we'll talk a little bit about that word and about the situation that Paul has found the church in. Um, It might be a little more uh, earthy than you expected, but you're all grown-ups, so I know you can handle it. The Christian teaching on sex is the Christian teaching on food, according to St. Paul anyway, in Corinthians, a letter that has a lot of both in it, has a lot of things about food, and has a lot of things about sex in it. Um, And it addresses both situations that we know a lot about, like where it says a man has his father's wife, yesterday and the day before, and situations that we don't really know a lot about. Here, uh, it seems like the word fornication, which is the word pornea in the New Testament language of Greek. Pornea is where we get our word pornography or um, to write something sexually explicit or sexually immoral. If we ask what are what is fornication today, uh, the definitions have varied over the many years of what is uh, what is good for Christians to do with our bodies sexually and what is not. And these answers have been dictated by a lot of things, our culture around us. But Paul is particularly concerned about Christians, um, primarily Christian men, but perhaps Christian women too who are regularly visiting prostitutes. Um, Sex workers in the ancient world, or in all time and space, have existed. Jesus famously had many conversations, meals, and relationships with sex workers in his time. The fact that even though sex workers would have occupied a very small percentage of society, population of Jesus' day, the fact that he... Um, has so many interactions with with them is significant for us to listen to. And so when Paul circles around to this particular church's problem, one of the particular problems they have, is fornication. Um, He compares sex to food in that people say, because I can eat any food I want to, all the Dietary restrictions have been taken away in Christianity. That's one of our major points of being Christian, is that we don't forbid Christians from consuming any substance. God has blessed everything. Um, And this is a hard pill to swallow, literally, um, for many of us, because we live in a society that has uh, told us that there are toxins in various foods that we shouldn't eat, that there are... um, other psychoactive substances and alcohol and other things that make it immoral to consume. 
but the consistent witness of the New Testament is that uh, the real issue is our consumption of it, our moderation, and what happens to us when we do it. But it's not the substance itself. That is something God created, that is holy by God. And so sex is not inherently unwholesome or inherently unholy. God made it just like God made food. But the argument that just because I can eat any food I want, because it's just the stomach, right? The stomach doesn't care what it eats. It's like, hey, I want the good stuff. Um, that argument doesn't hold up with Paul. He says people use that, artic- that argument that um, my sexual needs are just like my food needs. Um, last time I checked, people can live without sex for quite some time, and they don't die. Um, but we cannot live without food. That is why food is slightly different than sex. Anyone who tells you otherwise, Paul will get upset about. Um, he says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, which is somehow uh, maybe a current phrase or a song from his time. Uh, he says, God will destroy both in hell. <laughs> it's like, you know, if, it, it, this idea that nobody, nothing matters. There is a tendency to nihilism in the Christian life because everything is lawful in Jesus Christ, because we're forgiven, because we have been reconciled to, to God through Jesus Christ. We receive the sacrament weekly because we are, we know that it's not because of any good thing we did that we are part of God's kingdom. It's because of our intrinsic value as humans that God created. Because of that, it's easy to say nothing matters and nothing really matters. And that kind of nihilism is something that Christians have slipped into over the centuries pretty quickly. And so this idea that um, nothing matters when it comes to our sexuality is not true either. Um, The problem of these believers was that they were frequenting sex workers. These were part of pagan temples, by and large. Um, They were part of the pagan temple. Most of the sex workers of the Corinthian temples and other temples of the Roman and Greek world were essentially enslaved people. Um, Just as many people are trafficked today, uh, primarily young women, but also some children and boys, um, they did not have freedom to leave. Um, And so the very work that they did in those places was coercive. And so when people went to them, um, they were part of that coercion. So this is not just about sex. It's not just about food. It's about a whole structure of society that is exploiting people and hurting people. And when you participate in this structure, this system, you're participating in the abuse of the system, even if you're not doing the abuse. And then there's another point that Paul makes. Another point is that when you engage in sex, uh, you become one flesh with that person. And this is, uh, this is another maybe difficult thing for um, modern Americans to kind of wrap our minds around. Um, that uh, we, we often think we can get away with things emotionally that we can't. We often think that we can form relationships and sexual relationships that we can sort of detach from easily or perhaps, um, perhaps they don't have the same meaning for us um, that they might have for other people. And yet... Even in this contract, even in this uh, visiting of the prostitute, Paul says, you are still engaging 
in something mystical. You are becoming one flesh. It's the same language from Genesis that Adam and Eve became one flesh, that Jesus quotes in his teaching on marriage, that the two shall become one flesh. Uh, this is the quote from Jesus and a quote from Genesis that Paul brings up. So the Christian teaching on marriage is that, and on sexuality is that it does matter. Um, it matters a great deal. And so when we lie to ourselves or we lie to somebody else when it, in a sexual context, we are not just sinning against like our community, but we're sinning against ourselves in a really deep way. The lies we tell ourselves or the lies we tell other, someone else to manipulate them sexually is, is always does damage to us and the whole Christian community in a way that few other things really do. Um, this one seems to be one that often goes to the very core of who people are. And the destruction that is, brings about from these kind of things is usually amplified beyond. So he says, and this may echo the sex workers he's talking about, these temple prostitutes who don't have a choice, who are coerced into this line of work. They're often, uh, they were foundlings or orphans that were given to these temples to be raised as sex workers. Talk about a horrific um, life reality. He says to these Christians, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Instead of going to that other temple to satisfy your desires, um, come to this temple, the temple of your body and the temple of the church. The temple is plural and singular. It's individuals, but it's also the Christian community, the church. This is the temple you are supposed to be in. And so much of our longing and desire for sexual gratification and fornication is really a longing for community. It's a longing for friendship. It's a longing for love. All of our sins in relationships are people looking for love in all the wrong places. And this is what Paul is saying. He says, you're not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Paul makes a very very like close distinction that might be really uncomfortable for us to think about. That we belong to God. Um, both in our freedom, that God is with us and we have God on our side, but also in the sense that we have an obligation to God. We have an obligation not to lie to ourselves or to anybody else. That's our obligation to God, to find our community in the Christian community, to find our intimacy there as well. And all those needs that we have, God will meet them in God's own time and in God's own way. So glorify God in your body. When you show up to prayer, you are doing that. You are glorifying God in your body. When, you, when your body shows up on a Sunday morning somewhere, you're glorifying God with your body. When you listen to someone share their story, you are glorifying God with your body. And that is what God asks of us in this relationship that we have with God. So you're already doing that tonight. And all God is calling us to do is to continue to do that every day of our life. Amen. Dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night, and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ. Give rest to the weary. Bless the dying. Soothe the suffering. Pity the afflicted. Shield the joyous. 
and all for your love's sake. Amen.